Welcome to episode 226 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's one of my original co-hosts from day one, all those many moons ago, none other than Shane, the shotgun beeps. (laughs) (laughs) That's what everyone calls me. It's weird. I don't know why. Uh, Stanislav, it's early. Oh, it's early for me. Yeah, it's, not for me, I'm, bro. I, I, I can't believe Dave is expecting me to be on camera for whatever video he's going to stitch together for 7 a.m. Sunday morning. You, you agreed to this. I didn't well, I, I didn't spring this on you. Uh, I, we, I looked well, at we the were, receipts. I don't know if Shane actually agreed to 7. He agreed to I 8, think. and then he said, I want to start earlier. And then I said, okay, 7, and then nothing. <laughs> and you said, that's great with me. And I was like, me too, Stan. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, well, okay. So originally, originally we we're going to do something very Colorado. We were going to go for like a you know a, a somewhat morningy hike, right? So I was like, oh, perfect. Wake up, do the episode, go go hike, and it's just proceeded to rain all weekend. Right. So you know, and now I'm just stuck inside rebuilding the computer. You're lucky. So I was going to like start rebuilding the computer last night with the parts that had arrived, and I was like, that seems dangerous. Mm-hmm. Before an episode. <laughs> it does seem dangerous. I will say, what was the difference between 7 and 8 on rebuilding the computer? Were we going to get up at 7 and rebuild the computer? No, no, no I was going to do that last night. I was going to do that last night. But instead of doing that last night, I watched Mitchell's versus the Machines, which is a much better idea mm. for my for my overall mental health and I happiness. I see. Hello, Dave. Is this the first time we've been on a show together, the three of us, in like three or four weeks? It's been a while. It's been, yeah. been a month it's since the three of us have been on. It's been a while. That's yeah. right. And the Just third the co-host. the three of us. One of the other original founding members, the Godfather, Dave, the Duchess, Harbarger. Hmm, I like that. I almost like that better than Godfather. I don't mind it. The Duchess, the Duke and the Duchess. That's fine. I decree that we talk about some cards this week. Stan, what do you think? I think that's fine. We're not only talking about cards. On this week's show, we're also going to recap some of the early data and results from the regional championship that's happening this weekend in Dallas. It is the biggest Pioneer tournament of the summer, unless you're south of the equator, in which case it is winter. That's a little... Always be respectful. little hemisphere humor for you guys. Uh, Then Mm. we're finally and formally kicking off Lord of the Rings spoiler season. It's our first round of picks to click from Battle of Middle-Earth. Will this be another Modern Horizon, or is this more like a modern second breakfast? Wouldn't Modern Horizon be a modern second breakfast? I don't know how those are different. Those are both good things, both bad things. I just feel like Horizon is something that's like in the distance, and second breakfast is something that is up, up close and personal. I don't know. Do, do you, Which breakfast do you think was bigger? The first one or the second <laughs> one? Did the Hobbits ever give us any indication in the text? Now, we all know George R. R. Martin was a fan of writing about food. A lot. A lot of fan about writing about food in detail. All right, let's housekeep. We do have a new patron to join the Dive Down Nation. It's Charles. What up, Charles? Thank you for your support. We also have support from an increased tier, Chuck M. Is this the same Not person? The, uh, this is, okay, so I, I looked at the receipts here, and I was like, I don't think this is the same person. <laughs> because... Uh, I think they have different email addresses, but I was very confused. There are more than one person named Charles in this world. Yeah, but not on our Patreon. Mm. I mean, Hold there probably is. Straw poll. Quick straw poll. How many email addresses do you have, Shane? Do you just have the one? Oh, I forgot that Google is like closing down email addresses that haven't been used. And that's like the one I use for like Craigslist 
And so like I've got to I've got to go do something on that one. I've got like two email addresses yeah. plus work. Yeah, I've got two plus work. I have I have three plus work. <sighs> secret secret emails. Mm. I just don't know how to cancel Hotmail. I've had Hotmail <laughs> since like 1999 and it will not leave me alone. They keep trying to charge me money for it and I'm like, "No. Nope, no." Nope. Oh no. But it's still there. It persists. Hotmail persists. I mean, I'm an email uh, 1.0 fundamentalist, so mm. My first email address was with Lycos. Lycos is pretty good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Remember, remember that bad boy, that dog? I do. I do. We also well, have some thanks, new- Charles and Chuck. Appreciate it. We also have some new reviews this week. A few of them, actually. I, I, I don't think you guys mentioned any reviews last week, but these are some date as far back as May 26th. Shout out to Chris oh. Abides, who thinks we're cool and good, which I think I is guess. true. Dark Shiva, who just thinks we're good and so funny, which also I think is technically the truth. And El Gordo 666, who thinks we are goofballs with uplifting attitudes. I, I don't see the lie. I don't see a lie in, in any of those reviews. Me either. The goofballs one is a particularly apt, I guess. We're like your nice goofballs. We don't push it too far. We're not hey, improv people. We're, we're all goofballs on the dive down. The listeners too. If you'd like to support our show, you can find our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing magic online with a mana trader subscription. Use promo code the dive down 2023 to get 10% off your first two months of a mana trader subscription. You can also support us with our Barrister and Man promo code, the Dive Down M23. You know, that code was made in May. It's now June. What is the we have to think of something else for the M to stand for? Like what's another mnemonic that people can remember M for? Magic. Beautiful. M23. That's the M- set, right? That's the set. The Dive Down M23 is the promo code of Barrister and Man. 15% off your first order with them. And finally, this one doesn't even support us. This only supports you. It's the NRG promo code. Dive8 gets you 8% off any order of magic cards, paper magic cards from Nerd Rage Gaming. Get into it. Is that their official like motto? Nerd Rage Gaming. Get into it. It's in the it's game. It's in the game. <laughs> <laughs> what? We've got, we've got what SEG don't. What SCG has is people crossing their name off on name badges at the RC and Twitter. Did you guys see that? I'm not going to name oh, any names, but that was uh, that oh, was something to see. Twitter, Twitter drama. Yeah, always. Magic players love crossing stuff off in protest. We, we've satisfying. seen that happen with art. We've seen it now happen with sponsors. What's next? When does the Sharpie Us. run out of ink? They're going to start crossing us off on their buttons. That has gone too far. When does this Sharpie run out of ink is so... Oh, my God. <laughs> These goofballs are making me thirsty. <laughs> we spent too much time on the internet. Okay. Okay, so hold on. So what, what are we doing here? We're going to first... So, are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna pretend that we're like we're we're going to like stitch together some kind of time thing because we know right now what we're gonna talk about Lord of the Ring cards with the three of us mm-hmm. at some point at mm-hmm. some point the episode will morph into just David and myself talking about the breakdown of DreamHack Dallas yes the RC so we could pretend that uh, Stan's gonna step away for like half an hour we, we could do, do like that. a breakdown. And then uh, we come back for the Lord of the Rings spoilers, or we can just 
have people understand that we're all together right now. We're going to do Lord of the Rings spoilers, and then we'll come back at some point and do the uh, the breakdown. I prefer so reality, so I'm going to say number two. Yeah, okay. I prefer reality, yeah. That's a good. That's that's what I always think about Dave. Is you know he prefers reality. He's a very realistic man. That's that's fine by me. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> but we're not going to tell you. So let's go to the break and see what comes next. The battle for Middle Earth. The final war against Sauron's forces. Grand will break down the door. Bring out the wolf's head. Grand. 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 This, this set is not called Battle for Middle Earth, Stan. <laughs> Why have you said that twice? What is it's it called? It's not called that. Is it Tales? It's, it's called Tales of Middle Earth. Oh, it's you know what? Tales Battle Middle for Middle Earth. Earth is like the PS2 game, I think. Battle for Middle Earth is the less successful second set in the long tradition of magic sets that have the word battle in the title, <laughs> such as Battle for Zendikar. There was something called Battle for Middle Earth. Yeah. It's 2004. Microsoft Windows. <laughs> EA Games. When you were 14 years old. Get, get in the game, Frodo. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were playing this. You put a lot of hours into Battle for Middle Earth. Dude, it was directed by Bing Gordon. Of course, I've played a lot of hours. You know, I love Bing. a Bing Gordon joint. Uh, joint, yeah. yeah. I do. You're, I, talking, you're talking about a lot of Bing Gordon's resume all the time. Unappreciated. Let's, let's, I don't, he was not involved in this set, unfortunately, but we're going to talk about the cards anyway. We're here. This, they yeah, finally this, did it. It comes out just in a few weeks. It's finally happening. Straight to modern and other eternal formats, so it's not touching Pioneer or Standard. Yeah. In general, when we see that, that's a Modern Horizon set, but this is different because reasons. Because supposedly this started as a commander set that they then s- swerved into Modern at the last minute. Mm. Supposedly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's there's a couple things, right? Like one, you can sort of, it sets boundaries on design. It gives people, and it gives like more ideas for design as well, right? Like if you're doing like a full 300 whatever card set, then you can just be like, okay, well, this is, you know, 80% of them are cool for commander and then 20% are cool for our you know, non-rotating formats or eternal formats. So go for it. I mean, I think it gives people the opportunity to stretch their design muscles and then gives people, other people, the reason to buy the cards, right? So yeah. <laughs> win-win. It gives them a reason to make money off of this which you know we're here for that we're, yeah, we're part, I mean, we're part we, of that system it is what yeah it is. Have, have have we ever stopped watsi from making money really we've we've, we've had buying guides on why you might want to purchase one of the sets right and we'll talk about that later but for now why don't we talk about what we care about within cards just remind people real quick what we're looking for when we look for cards what, what do we like what kind of cheap cards, cards. Do we like that's, cheap that's cards. the big thing cheap cards cheap cards mm-hmm. and free cards yeah what else yeah well, I almost feel like Modern Horizons has changed the way we evaluate cards. We've talked about this at least once before, but our criteria for what might be good in this type of supplement set, I think, stands apart from the criteria that might be good in a standard set. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing that we like to look for that we've seen in these previous Horizons products is cards that cast spells for free, mm-hmm. you know, just doing an effect for no mana. We're getting extra effects for no mana if you have to pay some mana up front. If, if you pay the mana, but you get more mana's worth of power and toughness and abilities and other effects, right? Eloquently put. I, love I tried. It. I tried. Yeah, you did great. 
And then generally, we also like cheap permanents that make extra stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Things that make extra material. We talked about this last week, actually, when we were talking about Boros Convoke with Devin, stuff like a Thraben Inspector. One mana makes two things. Like that kind of thing do- is meaningful, yeah. even in modern. Yeah, or just like a cheap permanent that's like has extra stat lines or abilities or evasion. So like Dragon's Rich Channeler is at best a one mana three three flyer. I think one mana three three flyer is probably good. Seems like a good still good rate, even in today's modern. It's on, so, it's borderline. It's borderline, but it's it's close. So bone picker. That's yeah. like your that's your card, right? Nailed it. Yeah, I love a bone picker. See, Shane Shane can always find the counter counterexample. We also like a two for one, which is what Shane just did to Stan and I by pointing out by getting both of us with one card. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that well, card I, was bone picker. I, I wanted bone picker to be good. I have a place of the bone pickers. Yeah, yeah. Is Foil. that the bird? The cheap bird when something dies? Exactly. It's like a it's a one mana three two flyer. Yeah. Yeah, two for ones are good. Or redundant effects are also good. So if we see a new card that does something else that other cards do that now gives us additional copies of the same preferably powerful effect, that's something to keep an eye on. PPE, as we call them. PPE. Preferably powerful effect. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Problematic permanent. (laughs) And then, finally, we're looking for big powerful threats. Is the world's next primeval titan in this deck? Is the world's next cheat target, the world's next uh, Archon of Cruelty yeah. in this deck. Something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we call these the big kahuna burgers of magic. Mm. Mm. I didn't know we did that. Better than nothing burgers. All right, where do we want to start? Now we're going to get into cards, right? Pick Who's got a card? I got a card we can start with. I feel like we could warm up. Let's, yeah. I got a warm up oh, card. Oh, you, you're going to warm us up with like one of the one of the hottest, most, I think most... Uh, conversational cards we have i do because i think it's i think the title fits perfectly with shane's tone what shane's tone will be across the rest of this recording session <laughs> shane's mm-hmm. tone no shane's and nice. the card shane's Stern's, rebranded shane's rebrand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well he, he's really he's really reflected since he broke his his wrist stern scolding Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get into Stern Scolding, can I can I get into how you just dragged me in the in <laughs> intro? She she can't podcast because he broke his wrist. <laughs> no, no. So like, not only did I break my wrist, which was like you know annoying and in the way, but I had previous plans to babysit my tiny niece. I know, and and that's what I was doing. I was seeing my 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 young niece person, and she cried because she's an infant. But it was very nice, and that's what I was doing instead of recording a podcast. But it was yeah. also nice to have a week off. Yeah, you can't record. Well, famously, can't record while holding an infant, as we all know. <laughs> they do think, not respect when the red light is on in the booth. Have you ever tried that, David? I feel like you never even tried to <laughs> I, do this. I never with even your kids. tried. No. Well, we also started. I mean, how old were your kids when we started? An infant. One was an infant, and one yeah. was one was uh, three-ish. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's 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 peak child holding time. Yeah. Anyway, Stern scolding. They're louder now. Okay, <laughs> Shane's card of the set. Stern scolding. Here's what it is. It's a. I mean, single, this is worth talking about. Yeah, it's a single blue for an instant counter target creature spell with power or toughness two or less. Who loves a single mana conditional counter? You know, I love a single mana conditional counter. Uh, Me too. Now, they almost always are not as good as spell pierce, and uh, I think that's kind of something to think about here although this one only targets creatures but the only thing i want to give us is a baseline for conversation seth saffron olive from goldfish 
calculated how many things it hits in modern. Put a tweet out. This is what he said. It hits five of the 10 most played creatures, 10 of the 20 most played creatures, 29 of the 50 most played creatures. With that in mind, Stan, what do you think of this card? I don't remember this happening in the books or the movies, but... You don't remember getting yelled at? I don't remember. Gandalf? I don't remember anyone's stern scolding, but... So I Fool think, of a Took. I think that quote is actually directly from the book. I, re- I, do th- I think it is. I'm sure it is. Okay, so yep. I don't think we've ever seen a creature counter spell see play. There are cards that say counter target creature spell. They never make the cut. I think Essence the, Scatter. Yeah, Essence Scatter exactly. is a two-mana card that can counter any creature. Exactly. Right, right. And maybe it's these occasional like standard play or something, but like mm-hmm. not... I've never put it in a deck. I think the only reason we're talking about this one is because it's one mana. And I think Saffron Olive's the, like math here, n- table napkin math, it is probably like the reason we are considering it. Just because like it's going to hit a lot of like the creatures that people try to cheat into play in Scam, or it's going to hit Ragavans, or it's just going to like hit a bunch of random stuff and I, th- I think it like hits at least one thing in almost every deck that runs creatures, basically. Yeah, I mean, look, it hits lots of stuff in Hammer. Yeah, it that's hits, that's the thing. It hits lot. It hits Ragavan. It hits uh, DRC. It hits Grief. It hits Solid- Solitude. 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 Rude dude. Does not hit Fury. Does not hit the other ones. Endurance. Uh, but it does hit those two that are really annoying. I mean, it, it is interesting in a world where creatures are in a often, world, in a world where creatures are often spells, it does feel a little more useful, but I'm not going to like put up for this card. Cause I do feel like we're kind of in minor misstep territory here more so than we are new format stable personally. Yeah. I mean, we know what we're going to get with this card. I feel like we know, I think we know all, what we're going to get with a card and also the arguments that people will have about this card. Right. Yeah. Which is just like, yeah, yeah, like if if creature decks, if there's like a lot of decks with a good amount of creatures where it makes sense to sideboard this card, then sure, that we might see like one or two copies in sideboards of controlling decks when the meta game is particularly appetizing to play it. I, I just thought of a nice pithy line that I've never thought of before while thinking about this <laughs> card, and, and minor misstep the comparison there because we've seen minor misstep see like some play, especially in sideboards, just. A, because a card like this makes the occasional play doesn't mean that it's actually that good. Maybe it's just yeah. serviceable and we'll we'll take it in and out from time to time. Maybe we'll try it out at first and then give up on it later. And that's fine. It'll serve its role, we'll learn from it, and then we can move on or keep playing one or two of them. And that's yep. magic, baby. That's magic. And that's the dive down. Wow, we actually all agree on this one, I think. It feels like we're all kind of like, eh, looks, looks interesting because it's one mana, but probably meh. Here's, I mean, the real question, though, is this is this actually better than Minor Misstep, though? And I think it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think this is better than Minor Misstep. I do, too. Yeah. Because I think it, it, because it hits more. I think it has, a, it has a wider net to cast in terms of control, uh, control decks casting nets, um, like, as they yeah. do. But I think, no, I think it's totally fine. Like, I think you're right, Stan, where it's like... I don't think it's like a blow your mind card, but this could be better than I think. But I really think it depends on kind of assessing what people are actually doing in the in the metagame and going from there. 
Yeah, I kind of just think the coolest thing about this is that it, it deals with grief and it, it basically deals with everything except Fury out of Scam. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's really cool. That it's like a one mana interaction that like doesn't like shut that deck <clears throat> down, but gives you really good interaction without necessarily taking a huge mana disadvantage where countering something out of the grief deck with like a blue blue counterspell feels like you're losing something in that exchange. All right, someone else picked the next card. Let's see. Who wants to talk about what? Well, Dave, you did so in full uh, behind the curtain stuff. Dave did the first pass through on all these cards and I was like some of these I agree with, some of these I don't. I'm going to pick one card that I was surprised y'all didn't pick and it's going to require me to go down the list and it is Cast into the Fire, which I think is actually quite possibly the second most likely card behind uh, Stern Scolding to mm-hmm. actually see play. And that's one in a red instant. Choose one. Cast into the fire deals one damage to each of up to two target creatures. So is that, does Fork Bolt only hit target creatures or is it any target? Any target. Yeah, any target. Okay, so a Fork Bolt style thing for creatures. And then the other mode is Exile Target Artifact. For one in the red. It's like a braid, but yeah, I even think it's maybe a, better. Yeah, I think it's a potentially better a braid. I think this is very playable. I think it's super viable against Hammer. Like, Hammer needs more hate, apparently, from the set after the first card. Exiling is a really nice ability. I think this is just clean, efficient, u- useful. I think you're totally right. I just don't think there's a lot to say about this card. You know, I was exactly. like, when you, when you added this to the list, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a card. Fork Bolt can be good. I mean, one of the problems with Fork Bolt is that it's a sorcery. And so uh, yes. you can't, it doesn't get C play that much, but since this is an instant, I think in the fact that you can occasionally fully get a two for one for it, I, I kind of like this. How many creatures are we tagging though? Like, I feel like the difference between this and Fork Bolt is that Fork Bolt can deal two to something for one mana. Or if you're only hitting like a one drop, you can always take the other side to the face. This feels like the Exile Target Artifact is the best mode. And you're, mm. you're bringing this as artifact hate more often than not. And if it has like additional usefulness, fine. But um, yeah, I, I was actually surprised that you were as high on this because this seems like one of the modes is very conditional to me. Yeah, I think it's fine. I think it's good. I think it will see play. I mean, I'm not going to say like, exa- I mean, it's I, like, I think you are getting at is I think the application is somewhat narrow in the end, right? Like you really have to have an artifact that you want to exile or hopefully a metagame where you have a bunch of X1s, but even in something like Hammer Time, there's not that many X1s. Exactly. Uh, just, just Esper Sentinel, in fact, yeah. just to remind like, people, and also and uh, Ink Moth Nexus, of course. Uh, most, yeah, they don't play Memnite. Hammer doesn't play Memnite uh, oh. really anymore. Okay. Yeah, so it's not astounding, but it's good. Yeah, I think. I, I think it's fine. I think one thing is funny is like, I also agree that this is what the, one of the most likely cards to see some play and it kind of tells you a little bit about how i feel about the overall power level of the set so far that I, we're kind of like oh here's this like conditional removal spell that i think is going to see a reasonable amount of play and that is the second card that we want to talk about well i also would just went straight to the boring stuff you know me mm-hmm. yeah the meat and potatoes stanislav all right guys well something that gets that boring card out of the way quickly yeah so let's go to some fun and conversational stuff yeah let's talk about press the enemy the this is the card that mm. like I was walking down the it's street. My favorite Rage Against the Machine song. Pushing my child stroller, talking, convinc- like talking to myself, and like increasingly convincing myself why this card is is, 
interesting and exciting. Oh boy. Okay. Ooh, I can't wait okay. to hear this then. Stamp, read the card. Two this is blue, like my blue. favorite Stanislav takes where it's like slightly too expensive card that does interesting things and Shane's like cost too much. Mm, cost I don't know. Much. I don't know. This does a lot of interesting things. For two blue blue at instant speed, return target spell or non-land permanent and opponent controls to its owner's hand. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with equal or lesser mana value from your hand without paying its mana cost. That, that, that second line of text, there's there's a couple things to unpack there. Equal or lesser value. So I think that's countering counting the target of your first mode. Correct. So if, if you're bouncing something that costs zero mana, you can only spend zero mana for the free effect, etc. I mean, this is a really cool cascade spell, I think. All right, so tell me Rhino's why. Living End, yeah. the other one, I can't... Which has to be in your hand. Restore balance. Cascade spell. Yeah. Yeah. You think this is a reasonable piece of interaction in Rhino's specifically? Let's just start with Rhino's specifically. Sure. Yeah, we can talk about Rhino specifically. So you think this is a reasonable piece of interaction for you to have. What do you think you would play it over? Either Mystical Dispute or Brazen Borrower. <laughs> Or or both. If if you're if you're okay. not playing both, it's like whichever one of those is in your main deck now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so tough. Four Here's mana. Why. So, so it's four look, mana. It doesn't have any cheap modes. So so what if it's four mana? I'd rather I'd rather just suspend. In, in, <laughs> I'd rather, rather just suspend. Well, so okay, all right. So let's talk about that. Suspending is good if you have the card in your opening hand yeah like exactly. some, sometimes you're drawing the suspend card late and then you're like like struggling like do i spend the mana now and then and then forecast what i'm trying to do or do i like use fable the mirror breaker or something else to like try to get value out of this card in my hand and trade it for something else maybe if you have endurance you can pitch it to something what i like about this is that it both interacts and puts down like your combo card whether it's rhinos or or living end or whatever else yeah. Okay. What about when you don't have crashing footfalls in your hand, though? Like, so, I mean, your best case scenario, what is I'm interacting with the board with my four mana instant and then maybe casting a dead fire, gone off it or ice. like fire ice or something like that off it, which is like, you know, not the end of the world, but then that would require maybe uh, two pieces of, of cardboard you wanted to interact with on the other side of the board with like a dead gone or what well, you're like, well, I guess I'm going to burn you for two right now with, with fire or something like that, which is like, yeah, that is a use of mana, but I'm not sure like bounce plus shock is worth my, my four mana. Like, I feel like it's only very good when you do have the crashing footfalls and I'm not sure I want, I want to rely on that to like be the ceiling of my, of my four mana card personally. Sure, but I also think that if you don't have the footfalls, then this is really good force fodder as well. Like, you can find other uses for this card if you're not doing the thing. And, you know, part of what really appealed to me here is that it gives you, it gives you play against a fairy on your turn too. So, for instance, if it's your main deck or main phase and you want to bounce an opposing to fairy and cascade, you frequently need a lot of mana like you need the two for the brazen borrower plus three for the cascade spell this you can do them both with four if it's on your turn the spell resolves in the order that it's listed so you can bounce an opponent's to fairy and get rhinos on the board immediately or, or a living end here's my thing i mean like i agree with this i agree with this take but like i think the reason that this deck works more often right is like there are usually eight cascade cards where you all you have to do is cast a cascade card and get your crashing footfalls. There's only four crashing footfalls in your deck. 
Mm -hmm. and hopefully you've burned through more of them with an actual cascade card. Then if you end up with one stuck in your hand and you have the press the enemy, like I feel like the, the, the situations in which that actually happens are not super frequent Mm-hmm. And then sort of requires requires things to go right more often than I want, which is like why this deck works so well for me is kind of just like things don't always things don't have to line up particularly well besides I cast a cascade card. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that's kind of like I think the secret power of this deck is it's like it's you know weird, boring consistency. You do the same thing every game. You cast a cascade spell on three, and like yeah, I agree with you. Where it's like this is a nice get out of jail type thing when like the situation is lining up pretty poorly and and maybe that's enough right but like yeah like, that, i think I they, mean, that, that's the ahead. question right like is that enough because i think one one struggle with the deck has always been like how do we make the most out of the situations where you're like you draw the car that you don't want to ever draw and and this gives you that plan b that isn't awkward because cascading a spell is awkward but now we're only talking about rhinos like Maybe this is the type of thing that can open the door for a cascade deck that has more payoffs than just like the one suspend card. Like yeah, a, th- a true a- value cascade deck with this and ancestral visions or something. Yeah. That, I mean, that's where I think this is actually more interesting to me is in a very different shell, right? Mm-hmm, where it's just mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's a controlling deck that could take advantage of, like Dave was getting at, sort of like the busted suspend stuff, like, you know, restore balance or even going back to ancestral visions or something like that. Or ancestral, yeah, that's that's visions, right? Re- yeah. Visions is a suspend, recall is the, the broken boon. Correct. Okay, we got there. But also... Please don't make me think that Ancestral Vision is going to be playable again. I mean, it probably won't <laughs> be. I don't know. Maybe. It's just so, it's just so, it feels like such a different world to me to try to leverage those particular cards, but I could be wrong, you know? Yeah. Uh, I do think this card is super interesting, but yeah, it's complicated to know where it goes. And maybe you're right, Stan, that the best way to use something like this is to p- go all in on things that are lots more payoffs. And then you're kind of like, well, am I playing this with electro dominance too? And does this become the kind of eight pack that goes into that set? So it's no longer a cascade into it. It's electro dominance and press press the enemy because you're going to be able to do some kind of pressing at some point. Like everybody plays permanence or spells, right? Am I am I wrong? <laughs> you're not wrong, <laughs> David. I can't think of a single deck where I can't bounce anything at some point. It's just about getting to four mana. Cool. Good talk. All right. I want to go on to another card here. Let's go to the next one, Dave. This next the, one's good. This is a card that I like. Not the next one. Oh. I'm going to go to the one before it. And that is Forge Anew. Oh, yeah. Forge Anew, which is two generic and a white for an enchantment. It says, when Forge Anew enters the battlefield, return target equipment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. As long as it's your turn, you may activate equip abilities anytime you could cast an instant. You may pay zero rather than the, pay the equip cost of the first equip ability you activate during each of your turns. Yeah. I just think this card might sneak in there as like hammer equipper number nine slash 10 in hammer. To be clear, I don't think it replaces or like, I don't think it's going to be a four pack in those decks, but having this weird combination of Sigarda's aid slash pure steel paladin plus steel shapers gift plus potentially bring back something like, I mean, I guess it's impossible to get culture complete in the graveyard basically, but like maybe you can bring back a different piece of one of your living weapons. If you're running metal cyst or something as well and bring that directly back to the battlefield, 
it seems like it's got a lot of potential to do a lot of different stuff. But well, which, you're, which you're paying for. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I three mana, I mean, clearly three mana is, would be the most expensive card in that deck. I was just looking at deck list last night to think about this a little bit. There are no three mana cards in Hammer right now at all, except weirdly, I did see a couple of Hammer decks that were trying out Cosmic Rebirth. Are you familiar really? with Cosmic Rebirth? Isn't that the Bant-ish? It is green, spell? white, and a, and a generic and it targets a permanent in your graveyard. And if you if you target a permanent that is less than three CMC, it puts it onto the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And you gain three life. And it's an instant, which makes it a little different than this. But also, it feels like if your people are trying that kind of stuff, maybe you could try this. And this still gets you a resilient equip at least once a turn. Uh, because, you know, part of the problem with that deck, as you are well aware, Shane, is always, do I have enough cards that do equipping or yes. not? Yes. I mean, this is... It's funny that this is like the equipment stuff in this set is like, this is, oh, I want my cast into the fire so that you cannot use your, uh, your forge. Forge Yeah. Yeah. So no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm on board with this card. Like, I think it, it does a lot for a lot of mana, but it's, it's stuff that you really want to be doing. So maybe against certain, you know, certain types of decks, like whether it's like you said, maybe it's like card nine and 10, or maybe it's, I know my equipment card is going to be destroyed like during this, like people are going to come in with like equipment, anti-equipment cards. And then mm-hmm. I can be like, well, okay, I need my recursion. Uh, I know it's going to be a grindy game. So like, I'm just going to want to want to be able to equip this stuff really quickly. I don't want to have to have an instant, you know, equipper type thing. So this sort of does everything in a single package rather than have to like piece together the puzzle that can be a challenge in post cyborg games. Yeah. And it avoids the awkwardness of like, you know, with Sigarda's aid, you only get the free equip when it comes into play, right? For example. And then with Pure Steel Paladin, you only get it if the Pure Steel Paladin survives. So this is, even though this is expensive, it sort of splits that middle where, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than having like a Sigarda's aid in play or like, and one in your hand and having Hammer on the board already because they already killed your carrier one time. And you're like, okay, well, I can't do anything right now, but this at least gives you a little bit of a backdoor there when you get to like turn four with this deck or get quote unquote the late game, you know, where you can get one more equip off of something. The thing that we're not saying, but I think we agree on is that this card is still good, even if you don't have an artifact in the graveyard, right? Just like the right being able to cheat on equipped costs is part of like what makes this exciting too in and of itself yeah that i that's the main part it's three different things it's a little bit of stoneforge mystic slash steel shapers gift it's a little bit of the equippers and it's a little bit of the instant ability thing so you can mess with blockers the same way you can with uh Sigarda's aid yeah i will personally say that i don't think this is main deck play i think that that's i like the situation I said before, I think it's just kind of like a, a grindier post sideboard option against certain mashups where it's like, I need, I need this all in one three mana thing uh, because it just kind of does everything I need at once rather than, you know, I don't think it fits into the game one speed plan or you know, any of the plans personally. Yeah. I, I think I would play this over core outfitter in the decks that oh, like people monster. are still thinking about that. But that's what Core Outfitter is there for. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's to get a free equip ability. Yeah, it, you, you still have to have a creature in order to make this, but, and not even many decks are playing it that. I would think if I was playing a list where I still like Steel Shaper's Gift, I would maybe try this over Steel Shaper's Gift. I would, you know, even though they're pretty different things, it's like long game versus short game, but I've never 
super love Steel Shaper's gift either. In Hammer, it's kind of fine, but not amazing. So, and I would definitely try this over like Reality Chip or any of those other things that are supposed to give you long game if you're thinking that way about Hammer still. I, I would rather just have a card that brings back my good cards rather than something that draws me a bunch of extra cards like Reality Chip. But that's kind of my mindset. But I fully, I don't think there's a shot that this is us four of in the deck yeah. at, at all. Of course. Yeah. So my one question though is that are you beating Hammer because you're casting like a Braid or Force of Vigor? Or are you beating Hammer because you keep them from having creatures on the board? And I, and I feel like a lot of the games where I'm beating yes. Hammer, it's because of like Fury and Fire and Dead Gone and Unholy Heat and Lightning Bolt effects more so than just like Disenchants. Yeah, it depends on what your deck, what tools your deck has, honestly. I mean, if you have Force of Vigor and you don't have Fury, then... You know, you're just talking about rhinos in that sense, and rhinos happens to have a lot of cards that are good against hammer in the sideboard. You know, so but we'll they're not talk, everybody we'll has access about to that same cards. plan. We also have Merktide Mer- Mer- doesn't have force of vigor. Yeah, but you know, I, I threw in some Merktide cards in that example, so I wasn't just a one trick pony. Yeah, I, un- I understand. One trick horn dog. But yeah, I, I think that this helps with some of the problems that hammer can have, but not in a huge way. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's next on everybody's mind? All right. Let's talk about Orcish Bowmasters. Yes. Okay. One in a black. Orc Archer, my favorite tribal deck. Uh, this has Flash. It's a 1-1. One, one. Shane, that sounds bad. Oh, when it ETBs, and whenever an opponent draws a card, except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, Orcish Bowmasters deals one damage to any target, then a mass, <laughs> a mass Orcs 1. A Mass Orcs 1 is the weirdest. A Mass Orcs 1. A Mass Orcs 1 is my favorite Autiker album, actually. <laughs> um, Any between Amber and Tri Repite? Uh, and then they came back like 10 years later for a Mass Orcs 2. You didn't see it coming. You didn't know, but yeah, they got really like weird between a Mass Orcs 1 and a Mass Orcs 2. But they had yeah. like that one throwback, or yeah. it was like more melodic. So, anyway, this card has legs, bows. In Commander, in Legacy, potentially in Modern. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. So, like, you know, I think this seems like definitely a Commander thing, right? But no, and then, no, and then, and then definitely a Legacy thing because people yes. are already talking about this as being like the death of Delver. Um, this is like brainst- anti-brainstorm. Sure. Uh, yet another piece of card that everybody's like, well, this is just anti-brainstorm. Anti-brainstorm. But I'm down for uh, like a ridiculous build around in Modern any day. And I think this is a pretty cool one. I know. I mean, I think I think there's a couple ways you could do this. I think one, it just sort of has general utility against a lot of little stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, you're like you're again more anti-hammer stuff. Like, I think this is really annoying with like you know Esper Sentinel, Pure Steel Paladin type shenanigans. I think it's really annoying for like Fable of the Mirror Breaker decks and like Season Pyromancer decks. Or, you know, you want to get really reachy like Horizon Land decks, like Burn or like Yogmoth. Like, I don't think that's particularly great. Uh, Omnath decks. I think it has some kind of utility. To Fairy Three. I mean, there's just there's just a lot of little card draw stuff that I think this sort of makes beneficial for you. But like, let's this live the dream. Th- this thing does three damage in yes. response to the second chapter of Fable: The Mirror Breaker. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you you flash it in when somebody does second damage does that, and you get a mass. Not only that, it does three damage, and then you amass orcs three yes. times. I mean, that's so very you get a cool. three three yeah. two. I mean. The amass is the amass is the the thing here. The pinging yes. is like okay, cool. The amassing is the thing where it's like oh, this is a lot 
for a little, like I'm getting yeah. two pieces of cardboard. It could be, I mean, it's like almost like a, a flash blade spicer thing that also can ping off opponents, creatures or go to the dome. Like, let's just live the dream. Like I read this on Reddit, right? Uh, a Ragavan with a, and then DRC on turn two into consider. And then you respond with this. Yep. And it's mm-hmm. just like, Oh, I mean that, that you are living the dream, but that's also a reasonable plan of attack for your, your Merktide opponent. So, it's, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff you can do with this. I mean, and then what I really get into in my brain is like, let's play Sign in Blood. No. And let's play Burning Inquiry. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm talking about, I'm Black talking burn? about hard draw burn. I'm talking about bump in the night, my friend. That's too funny to me. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Burning Inquiry run, I, I mind a lot less than Sign in Blood. Burning Inquiry is a card on the David. bubble of modern that has been, has needs a home ever since Hollow One has died. Like, it's a one mana, very powerful card. So, like, okay, someday, maybe. Dave, but. how many, how much do you love Sign in Blood, though? It carried you in that Modern Masters 15 sealed. Oh, I have to show you something. I have he's pictures up in front of me. Blood. Yeah, I got these signed for you. He did. Framed sign in blood right here. It's right in front of my computer monitor now as I continue to set up my office down here. Um, Howard Lyon's signature is so good. Yeah. Anyway, we're not playing sign in blood in modern. We're not playing sign in blood in modern. But uh, I do think this card is just good. Like, I don't know what shell it makes the most sense in. I don't know exactly where it goes. But I do think this is a card that I, I is I'm excited to play. When I first read it, I was like, okay, Orcish Bow Masters, you do a lot of stuff. For not a lot of mana, and you have flash. So yeah, this, I mean, I don't know what it, what it goes into. I think it's just a cool, cool card. I just like it. Do you, so do you think the Amass Orcs one is better enough than what Fairy Mastermind is doing? Yes. I think it's the fact that it can kill a X one is huge, and you don't need a trigger to kill an X one is actually really helpful, too. But you do need the trigger. You need them to draw an extra card. No, you don't. It says when it enters the battlefield and whenever an oh, opponent draws a card. You. So you get thank one you, free trigger you. off of this. <laughs> yeah, this card's dumb. No, this yeah. card is completely unplayable without that when it enters the battlefield. Good catch. So, so yeah, it doesn't, and it doesn't even have to be in response to their draws. It's just if you do that, get an X1, and then they, then they draw an extra card at some point, then you get another trigger. Yeah, the real problem with this card is, like, can you main deck it? And I'm not sure. Like... Unless you're doing like a weird build around thing where you're forcing card draw and it's not really going to win you a lot of games <laughs> if you're like relying on Orcish Bow Masters to be in the battlefield. So, like, I think is it like a sideboard card? I don't really know exactly where this fits in personally, but like, I, it's just, it does like you're getting at, you know, it's just every, every, every time you read it, we're like, oh, yeah, this is, this just does a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. But doing a lot of cool stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you're seeing modern play, but I just see this in like, blue black shadow or something like where it's this kind of like weird tempo deck where i have this card that can be a two for one that's really fit for the meta and is a reasonable threat on its own like it's it's almost like a i mean you're, you don't control it I, I was gonna say it's almost like a black young pyromancer you know what i mean but at the same time it's not it's not that useful either so i don't know i like this card i feel like this card has a good chance to have a real home yeah it's great very cool design just just rad all right what's next on everybody's mind Let's talk about some of the lands. Legendary land cycle. They're all like, kind Man, of interesting. I think you're all bonkers. They they said that there was no land cycle to go with Mount Doom. Remember when we saw the Mount Doom promo? They're like, this isn't part of a cycle. 
that's fine. But there still is a legendary land rare cycle. And I think these are reasonable cards. Kind of all of them, I think, are interesting in different ways. Although they do have the problem of coming into play tapped unless you control a legendary creature. So they're very mm. hard to use. And they're hard to use in a lot of multiples, I think, as well. Yeah. But let can, can I talk about my favorite one first? Yeah, let's talk about our favorite ones. One. Okay, I'm going to talk about my favorite one first. That's Minas Tirith. It's a legendary land. It's tapped to add white. Enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a legendary creature. It has the activated ability of a generic and a white. Tap it to draw a card. Activate only if you attacked with two or more creatures this turn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seems like a reasonable card draw engine, especially as we've seen these decks get kind of popular with um, you know the Hank the OB style decks that we've talked about here and there that are just basically white weenie decks, mono white human decks in modern. Before we talk about the upside about all these cards, <laughs> yeah. can, can we just can we just talk about the fact that you have to control a legendary creature for all any of these lands that come into play untapped? Yep, that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Like, but okay, so with, with this one, we, we have Skrelv, we have Kithian. Yep, as one drops, and then yeah. we have Talia. Talia, Thalia, Thalia. Yes, please. Thalia. Uh, Stoneforge is not. She's just a mystic. That's not in that deck, though. I know. I'm just. I'm just thinking about white two drops. I mean, I think this is really like for a couple things. One is, as it's a common theme for this episode, this is like a one of. This is like a spicy one of in your mana base. You're not playing for these. <laughs> you know, you don't want. I, I think that these are kind of in the same space, and l- worse than the channel lands by a good amount. You know, although I think the effects on these are much more powerful than the channel lands generally speaking but yeah i think this is like a spicy one of or maybe at most a two of in that white deck because that white deck can run out of gas and being able to turn a couple of your mopey creatures like if you have a bodyguard and you have luminarch aspirant and you're like do i have any good attacks right now being able to attack in and then draw a card is something to into a kind of unfavorable attack or something that trades material for cards can be a good thing. And with the activated cost being pretty low on this land, I feel like that's part of the reason that I like it in that shell. But, you know, you're not, you're not trying to get this down on turn one or turn two that much, I don't think. I think you're really hopeful that this is like something you draw during the course of the game, not mm. during your first couple turns. I mean, that gets at my issue with this card. Here's the thing, though. I also said something similar to this about now banned, you know, blue land that his name name is escaping me. That Mystic Sanctuary. Mystic Sanctuary, yes, thank you. So, the you know, that's what I think people's initial complaint was. Even people who played blue-white control, like I think I remember Harry um, from Midweek Metagame, I think I remember him being pretty low on that because of the potential downsides. Don't quote me on that, Harry. Uh, but I think I remember you saying that, uh, that, but then ultimately, of course, everyone came around to it, realized that like, yeah, this card is absurd and you play it because it just is doing absurd things. And the potential downside is not that bad. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, well, what happens when you do run like your maybe what a 22 land creature deck and you have this in your opener or like one of your two lands in your opener is this. And you're like, well, I don't have Skrelv. Or something like that and it's like it is coming into play tap and i'm like well that that can lose you a game like just literally can straight up lose you a game yeah it can also not matter 
you know, you can also not and, and if you open a hand that doesn't have one of your legends in that scenario, your legends are the one drops that you have in your deck mostly, right? So then you just play this on turn one and say pass and go, okay. Well, I can't hold well, up mana tie that way, Dave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you can hold up uh, Solitude and the the Shining Shoal with that. So, you know. Yeah, that's all. that's all well and good. But I do think this is the best one of these personally. Um, I think it's like reasonable to get to activate because attacking with two creatures isn't that bad in the deck that I think it fits in, and that's kind of it for me though. But I, I like this card a lot. I I had a different opinion on which, which was the best of these, and my the one that jumped out to me the most was Baradur. Baradur, that's the black one mm-hmm. that's got XXB tap amass orcs X. Activate only if a creature died this turn. Amass Orcs X. Mm-hmm. Which that was interesting to me hmm. because, like, the only other land, there, there's only a couple other lands I can think of that produce bodies. One is Castle uh, Arndale. Ar- Arden? Yep. The Arndale, Arndale. is a mall yep. in, Ma- in Manchester, so I know it's not Castle Arndale, but is it Arvindale or something? I, I heard that the card is named at the uh, the card in Eldrain is named after that mall in Manchester. Oh, okay, yeah. Same, all right. Though, so don't you know? So, so Castle Arndale Mall is one. Colony Garden is the Chang's other. There? No, not in Manchester. I think we have a PF Chang somewhere in Manchester, but not at the mall. Have it does have Manchester's only table? Taco Bell that I'm aware of. Really? Yeah. An abridged menu though makes me sad, but still good enough. Mm. Um, okay, so yeah, so we have Castle Arndale. And then we have Colony Garden. This is one in black where you can just keep making bigger bodies. Like with, with the castle and Col- like the Conley Garden creatures are, are bodies that you don't use, like you use them to cheat something, right? Or just like to have like dinky blockers. Right. This can actually produce a, a real threat over time. And it being in black, yeah. I think is actually pretty easy to get the condition off because it counts both sides, right? If you destroy it, opponent's creature in a black control deck or if you have a, a black creature deck and they destroy one of yours you can just make another body and if you have a lot of mana you can make a pretty big body yeah the only problem with this for me is that and i like this card too and you can make a pretty big body and you can build a, a big threat over time by amassing more than once you know because keep in mind it doesn't make an extra token when you amass it makes it it adds to the token you have so just yeah. always we have to always remember that with a mass um the problem is Activating if a creature died this turn is is has been tough yes. in the past to bone get payoffs off of. And it, yeah, a card that we talked about earlier, Bone Picker, exactly. Like manipulating a situation to turn that into a good thing has never been the easiest thing in the world. I like it better on the, in this case because this is on a land. But that's the only thing that gives me pause about this card. And of course, you know, without it, this card would be completely absurd in one way or another. But here's a play pattern I like with this which is you have an amassed orc, you block with it, you make another amassed orc. Right. Right. I mean, that's like, that's a nice play pattern. Is that a modern nice play pattern? I do not know, but it certainly is kind of a way to continually put up a little force field. If your opponent only has kind of a single creature that they're, you know, after your attrition game has wound down and they have a single creature left, like you do have a land that you've been using to, you know, do your game plan that also can provide you uh, a roadblock against many things, not everything. I mean, you know, a rhino is still going to trample over it, but not a ton of creatures have trample, uh, things like that. So I think it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not a card that I'm like 
massively hyped over, but I do see the application here. Well, we can't all be massively hyped yep. over cards, can we, Shane? Mm. No, it's not my job. Well, Shane is, you know, he's giving us stern scoldings. The last one of these I wanted to talk about really quickly, Shane, really quickly. Okay. Is Minds of Moria. Just because I thought this card was interesting is that it's the red one. It enters the battlefield tap, blah, blah, blah. It has an activated ability that is three generic red tap. Exile three cards from your graveyard and create two treasure tokens. I just thought this card was interesting. I've seen people mention it as a potential fit for creativity, which I don't get because it's not a mountain and you really want all your lands to be mountains in creativity for yeah. many reasons. But, you know, I, I think this is a cool one and that the idea that if there's a deck out there that wants to grind and have access to tokens later in the game, having a land that makes to- can make tokens multiple times over the course of a game can be handy. I don't know where it lives. If there's like a weird Asmo grindy deck that wants to get tokens for some reason or something like that, not Asmo necessarily, but you know, like a food style deck that wants treasure tokens or just a lot of tokens, that could be cool. I think, you know, this thing goes with the thing that makes extra tokens. So if you have the, you know, that that card from Modern Horizons 2, that when you make a token, it also makes a food and a... Oh, oh yeah, yeah like the, the automaton thing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if you wanted to jumpstart a deck that had that in it again with this kind of thing after you get blown out or something, this is that's possible, too. I don't even know. This is another one where, like, I don't know if you care that it comes into play taps because I don't think this goes in a deck that is aggro at all. So it's like, whatever. But I thought that this was interesting. There's a way to make two tokens off of a land now. Cool. Yo, I think we got to speed up a little bit because we have a lot of hobbits to talk about. We've got like 20 minutes. We should pick what we're going to talk about. Well, should we talk about like legends as a concept? We have so many cards here that care about legends. And we were just talking about these lands that enter tapped unless you have a legend in play. And we saw that as a downside. But can this be a set that makes legends matters decks playable in modern well that's i think what i've been looking for and i think sort of we we have a bunch of legendary creatures to talk about soon i think we have a bunch of like hobbits i think really it comes down to yeah like is are the payoffs good enough and to warrant running the legends that we have i think we sort of are seeing in some some colors we're going to have fewer than others i think it really depends on that's my issue, Stan. Is like I, I don't know if we have enough core density of like awesome legends to like make a modern legend matters thing. But do you want to talk about a bunch of interesting legends, or do you want to? Do you have more to say on your line of thinking? I would love to talk about interesting legends because we can look at payoffs outside of the set too. You know, like sure. I think like I think we're we're looking for a, a Mox Amber deck, right? And that that'll Possibly. be part of. Yeah. That would be part of any like legends package that comes out of Lord of the Rings. So if we want to talk about some legendary hobbitses, why not yep, start? There's a lot of them. Yeah. A lot of hobbitses. Yeah. Let, let's, let's start with the best one. Yeah, so yeah, this is definitely the best one. It's Frodo. Frodo, Frodo. Determined Hero. Yeah, Frodo. Frodo Determined it's, Hero. One in a white. Legendary Halfling Warrior 2-2. Two, two. I'm just going to steal Dave's card. Whenever Frodo Determined Hero ETBs or attacks, you may attach target equipment you control with mana value 2 or 3. To Frodo, as long as your as long as it's your turn, prevent all damage that we would dealt to Frodo. Yes, definitely the most funny templating to avoid the existence of Colossus Hammer. <laughs> but it also avoids the. It, it, keep in mind, it also avoids the existence of Batter Skull. Mm-hmm. Sure. Kind of like we also don't want you to get a free Batter Skull equip. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like for modern. It feels almost like yeah, attached target equipment, not named Colossus Hammer. 
but it's an interesting one, right? It's like, I think getting the, getting the free equip of basically a sword, you know, more or less it's like sword, sword dot deck. I will say another card that came to my mind with this, this though is nettle cyst again, yeah, which is three, a card right? that's yeah. And here's the thing in stone for it's a three in stone forge decks that do not have hammer. Those tend to be affinity esque builds that focus on nettle cyst style effects, which I think is an interesting place that Frodo could go. If there's a new way to play Stoneforge Hammer that does not is not just as an enabler for Colossus Hammer. That's kind of what this feels like to me. But it's a powerful threat in that deck as long as your as it's your turn prevent all damage that would be dealt to Frodo. So I get to attack with a you know a six six or a seven seven that got a free equip and can't be killed by damage on my turn. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's also great because it, it helps reduce the risk of you getting two for one when you try to equip something to it too. You know what I mean? Like it still dives the fatal push. Um, but you know, not everyone's running fatal push in modern. This is where I start seeing like a, a new style of deck or a revitalized, potentially revitalized old style of deck, like an Orzov storm stone blade type thing where we have all sorts of ways to make your suited up creatures, not get hit, whether it's like Giver of Runes or Skrelv or Frodo Determined Hero, and you know, you're know running your Stone Forge for your tutoring, you have cool ways to just be getting damage through. You can run tech swords in the sideboard and the good ones in the main deck. And yeah, that could be cool. That could be just like sort of a new way to say, I'm getting enough density of cheap, efficient, equipment matters style stuff and it's really hard to kill yep i agree let's talk about another frodo that i think is like marginally good the uncommon version of frodo the the one that's green white for a one three Mm -hmm. that says whenever frodo baggins or another legendary creature enters the battlefield under your control the ring tempts you as long as frodo is your ring bearer it must be blocked if able so I've been looking from the spoilers so far to see what a deck that's just sort of like a turbo ring temps you deck is to like get, you know, have the ring bearer, get the powered up effects, all the effects on your ring. I'm pretty sure it starts with Frodo and a bunch of legends because this is the one that has the most kind of cheap ways to tempt over and over again in a way that feels fast to me anyway. Yeah, I will note, you notice how we have not said the ring tempts you all episode. So like the cards right. we have picked out do not have that line of text really. Yeah, and I, I wanted us to talk about the ring tempts you again off the top of the episode. I was thinking that we would need to, but then this is the only card I pulled that really felt like it had that text on it. And I think that's because most of the cards that have that text, it, they make you pay for it. And this one I don't, I really don't think does. But this gets back to Stan's question about legendary creatures, a core legendary deck, and what Shane was saying too. You know, maybe there's a legendary Stoneforge deck with the two Frodos and some other stuff going on where you're kind of like, you know, just getting the ring tempts you and some, you know, ways to take take care of the fact that it can't be blocked by creatures with greater power and like doing weird things like that. And maybe we're even using the black and white frodo to like end the game occasionally yeah yeah in that deck but i don't know so there could be like a mono frodo tribal deck it's just yeah, all my frodo Frodo's. matters abzan yeah, frodo frodo's matters deck oh i love that yeah just throwing a siege rhino <laughs> abzan frodo's <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i I'm, I'm more willing to think that like 
the first Frodo we talked about, Determined Hero, goes into kind of an existing shell rather than Frodo Baggins making making sort of a new turbo ring shell. But I'm right. I'm willing to see people try it because I think they will. Yeah. I mean, this is, again, the only place I saw the ring tempts you that seemed reasonable. But we'll see. I, I will. Th- my, my last point on this is like, I'm excited that we're talking about like swords decks. Like, not two, three months after the sword cycle is finally complete and we're just like, who cares about swords anymore? And it's like, I wonder if R&D was right. like, let's make people care about swords again. Yeah, going back to Frodo Determined Hero. Right, mean, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, what are a couple other hobbits that we have here? Turbo Hobbit round. Stan, you want to talk about one of these? Yeah, so I thought Pippin Guard of the Citadel is pretty neat. White, blue yeah. for legendary halfling soldier, vigilance, ward one for a 2-2, and it has tap, another target creature you control against protection from the card type of your choice until end of turn. It can't be blocked, targeted, dealt damage, enchanted, or equipped by anything of that type. Yeah, I, I, I thought... Totally I could, agree. I love the combination of vigilance on a tap ability. Like, that's always a powerful, potentially powerful one-two punch for cards in general, the extra protection that it has from ward is nice, like makes it a little more resilient in the face of removal, run and sixes, furies, what have you. I, I actually think that creature type is probably the worst thing about it, except the fact that it's legendary, like halfling soldier. Like no one's talking about halflings yet for reasons. Really wish this was a human, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Or, yeah. Or yeah. something, right? Um, but you know, it's it's a powerful bear, and we haven't seen like strong hate bears in a bit. And this has just so much text with like the ability to protect other creatures too. I I think this might be pushed enough to actually be useful in a in a hate bear strategy, or maybe like some legendary matters deck that we're imagining here. See, I wish this was pushed a little bit more. Like, I think this card is totally decent. I think it's, I mean, I was, I was going to talk about it. If you didn't, I saw you already had it on the list. So I was happy to revisit it in my brain. I think it's just like a little underrate, but I think the ability is really good. So like, it just sort of adds to the density of protection effects that we might want. And, you know, some kind of low to the ground, you know, a quippy, who knows, type, type deck. Hmm. Here's actually the creature type that I think could matter with this. And that's soldier. soldiers. I think there's a chance that some of those kind of powerful-esque soldiers payoffs that are floating around in standard right now. You know, we've seen a blue-white soldiers deck in Pioneer pop up occasionally. There might be a way to get some of those payoffs make sense and have Pippin be a part of that in a space that is uh, modern appropriate. There might be. But on, on the same hand, I, I don't know, Shane, I, I don't know how you could think this is underrate for two mana. Like, I don't know what else you like do you want it to have ward two yeah for want, two want, mana like, do you want ward. it to be a two three like i i i mean like, i don't know if it was one in a white get. if it was one in a white you'd be like sure it's fine but like you're you're paying like the azorius tax right you know what i mean like yeah. so I, I guess i want it to be a little bit better than it is yeah okay well yeah I, I think this card is really cool too and may, maybe there's a soldier thing instead of a human thing basically yeah i mean blue white soldiers is a deck in standard right now that's very low to the ground that has a lot of soldier matters cards. So maybe that's, maybe that's the shell we're actually upgrading and like porting a standard deck into modern. Yeah. And there's, there's historical old soldiers that are randomly just called that, that might come in here. Like there's, 
you know, that one drop, this isn't probably modern playable, but there's that one drop from Theros that pops up occasionally in Pioneer, maybe would pop up in Modern that's like protection from multicolor 2-1. Like there's there's weird things that pop up here and there. There's the bodyguard that gets play in the Hank the Obese decks already. And I don't know, maybe. I, I just think if there's a tribal synergy here, it could be Soldier. Yeah. Adanto Vanguard the Soldier. Right. We love it. A Johnny's pride mate. <laughs> Can we uh, briefly talk about Lobelia, Sackville Baggins? Two and a black legendary halfling with two, three of flash. When she ETBs, you exile target creature card from an opponent's graveyard that was put there. This battlefield, this from the battlefield this turn, then create X treasure tokens where X is XL cards power. I think this is like pretty cool tech against elementals some other things i think it's a little pricey this is probably just worse than like dothy voidwalker right i don't know i think too much has to go right for this to be good this card is extremely bad you think it's very I bad think, i i think exile target creature card from an opponent's graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this, this turn, turn yeah for three mana yeah. is like way too expensive i cannot wait to do my lobelia matters deck against you yeah I can't believe that you would tell me that Forge Anew is too expensive for three mana, and this is fine for three mana. It's not fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, think, I think it's just, yeah, you're right. If this was two, it'd be bonkers. Like, give me like a one-two Lobelia. I think it'd be pretty cool. Anyway, yeah. let's move on. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think we need to talk about any of, the, any of the other hobbits right now. I mean, Rosie's part of a combo, right? Rosie is part of a combo, but we can come back to it later. I just knew that Rosie was going to be in a broken combo. I want it stated for the record. I made a joke about it a year ago when this set was was premiered. I was like, Sam's wife is going to be in a broken combo and be the only playable card. And uh, here need, she is. I need to hear the sound bite. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the receipts handy, but it was, uh, yeah. Here she is. She's part of a weird plus one, plus one food token combo shell with like Asmo and Oval, Oval Daredevil and all that stuff, but... Stanislav, can we can we pay the troll toll and talk about your troll, the one of Kaza Doom? Yeah, yeah. All right, sure. Five. Yeah, this. I mean, this. We're going to talk about this card for all of twenty seconds because I think it's just like very obvious in its application. But it's five and a black for a six-five troll. That sounds bad, it, Stan. I know. Well, wait until you hear its ability. It can't be blocked except by three or more creatures. Okay. Oh, there's okay. more. It also has Swamp Cycling 1. Discard oh. this card. Search for a Swamp a swamp card. And reveal swamp. It your hand. Shuffle. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I put this in for uh, one deck and one deck only. It's called Living End. Mm-hmm. It's a, a one-mana cycler that gets you, gets you a land, but it also pitches to Grief. And then once it hits the board, like, let's say your opponent is able to put down some blockers. Like, this is not getting blocked it's too big or if it is getting blocked it's killing three other creatures yeah i think it's i like this because it also fixes your mana like a swamp card means a a dual land that has swamp type and stuff like that so i think that's advantageous it doesn't get you just another card it only gets you a swamp which can be good and bad Mm -hmm. i feel like that's kind of the downfall of this card as far as going to living end is is that it only gets you a land but I don't know. I've literally never tried to play Living End, so I I could be completely wrong about that. I will say, real quick, this is the only card with Swamp Cycling 1. Everything else that randomly has Swamp Cycling in Modern is 2. And there there are no cards with Island Cycling. So there is not a... You know, this is the only card that you could play that does this in that deck. The thing I want to push back on is that I think Swamp Cycling is actually 
a positive because it's cards like this that ensure you hit three mana more frequently. Mm. Yes. And which is kind of one of the issues of living in sometimes is like, man, I I really need access to my, my lands sometimes. Right. Yeah. You just like draw into cyclers and you kind of feel like you're spinning the wheels, but then you can't actually combo off. And this helps reduce the frequency that something like that happens. Yeah, see, that's something I wasn't totally aware of in Living End. So if it's like, hey, we could swap this out for one of our other Mopey cyclers in some quantity so that, yeah, we make sure that we get to three lands more often, but still have a density of payoffs for when we do go off, I could totally see that logic working as well. And then, yeah, this seems like a slam dunk because of that then. I forgot about another card that I think is going to see play in Modern, and it's Moira Marauder. Red, red, goblin warrior with double strike, one, one. Shane, that sounds bad. Whenever a goblin or orc you deal, you control deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Hmm. This seems good in goblins, or just sort of good, or like an option. Like, it, you know, it, the, it, it draws two on empty board. It's like, it definitely just like a must kill threat for your opponent. I feel like just another must kill threat. And like, it's just a good source of card advantage and goblins. And it hits hard when it's played with like a Lord shell, but yeah, it like dies really quickly as a yeah, one. I mean, are you familiar with a card called Warren instigator? I mean, I know of it. Okay. I mean, it's very similar to the same card, right? Warren instigator is Red, red for a double strike, one, one. Whenever Warren Instigator deals damage to an opponent, you may put a goblin creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. Well, that's from your hand, not from your, t- not from your library. Exactly. And, and it doesn't trigger off of anybody else. So I was going to say, Warren Instigator is a card that people used to try to make work in modern a lot or work, just work generally in different shells. And this card is better than that, even though it's templated in a similar way. Like There's a lot of things that make this one better. Because you can drop this and then attack with your team and then get the exile costs, you know, or not exile costs, get the exile benefits. You can, like you said, play this into an open board and hope that you get in for one and be able to draw some more cards. Um, you know, goblins, the goblins deck isn't really about this. You know, yeah, like that's what I think. Much, it's it's, it's right? not it's, it's like it's a like combo deck versus like sort of a creature card advantage deck most of the time right but yeah i mean i think it is when i've played it but maybe there's um you know maybe there i think this card works enough that maybe this could make goblins be different or have a different backup plan or something like that yeah i think it's just like i think it's too good to like not see at least experimentation like i've seen differing opinions like i'm not a goblin main here but like i've seen people say that it's like the second best to drop goblin since um Who's the who's the bug eyed guy? Conspicuous Snoop. Yes, yeah. Snoop. So it makes makes Snoop best things than Snoop. I've heard other people say, yeah, not a thing. But you know, I think we will we'll see, and I'm sure that it'll show up in some seventy fives and five O lists, and you know, people will make some stuff happen with it. My friends, uh, we've been going for longer than I expected about Lord of the Rings cards, but look, you don't say. Who knew? Shane, four year, four years later, you should learn that we can go all day. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, there's a few more cards I think we could even talk about, right? Like Boromir, I mean, who is actually a very fittingly, a fairly boring reason that he's good. You know, he stops free spells. Yeah, don't from get being into cast. it right now. Don't yeah, get okay, into fine. it. There's, 
There's stuff. There's, there's, a few, there's a few more things we could po- talk about, but we the have born to. Born upon a win. We there's have a lot to of get cards. out. We have to get out of here. We've got to do our ad break, and then we've got to come back to talk about the RC in Dallas, Pioneer RC that happened this past weekend. So stay with us. My friends, we are all together to talk about grooming products from Barrister and Man. Have you been grooming? It's summer. You got to stay clean. Uh, you might be able to see that my beard is a little bit more trim. Yeah, it looks really than good. Usual. Looks little, good, Dave. Little, little grown in. A little bit. I'm using the uh, the beard oils as I as I do. I have been, as always, enjoying shaving, and I am eagerly anticipating the the summer scents. I guess we could call them. From Barrister Man, we've got Presto and Adagio. We have mentioned these in recent weeks, but they're fully out. See the packaging on the website. Uh, and Adagio especially, I think, is kind of like very summer focused. It's all about like biology, natural beauty. You've got, you know, bl- uh, flower blossoms. You've got fruits. You've got like this. This is going for like a cool green fruit scent, which sounds like dope to me. Lime, cherry, violet leaf. Absolute. That's one of my favorite cocktails, by the way. Uh, Lily of the Valley floral musk called galaxalide. I really hated when I went up against galaxalide in uh, Final Fantasy IX. But I was thinking more about Marvel Snap. Oh with yeah, galaxalide. you're right. Galaxalide. That's that's the newest. Uh, series five card in marble snap but yeah and this even has a light bit of menthol not super cold but enough to refresh the face in swelteringly hot weather of summer yeah adagio sounds dope and presto does too it says the other other side of the coin from adagio you know leather violet leaf etc so those are two things that i'm definitely excited about trying what have you all been using from barrister man recently besides the beard oil which beard oil do you use by the way dave uh, I mean, I go back and forth between Sandalwood and Seville still are my favorite ones. I mean, Seville's, ones. Seville's dope. They're big bottles, so they, <laughs> they take a little bit of time to get through. Yeah. Which is great. Good value for your money. Stan, any thoughts on our friends at Barrister Man for summer? So here's the thing about my relationship with Barrister Man. I literally <laughs> just grab what's around and I will use any fragrance because I'm yet to find one that I dislike. Which I don't, I don't know if that's like a cop out or not, but it's just like... <laughs> When I finish a soap, I just grab whatever other so- Barrister Man soap I have, and I use that, and I'm happy. And it's I have more brand loyalty than scent loyalty at this point. I I think it's a great point, Stan. I think that that should give people confidence to just try something out, you know. Because I I agree with you. I haven't had one that I haven't liked yet either, and it's not because they all smell the same. I just want to be clear: they are different experiences, that, but they're all lo- wonderful, surprising things that that happen. And I think you, I think it's it's spring, early summer, spring. You know what it's time for, everybody? It's time to take a chance. <laughs> take a chance on life. Take a chance on sense. And yourself, you know? And how can they do that, David? They can do that by going to barristerman.com right now and using the Dive Down M23, the Dive Down M23 to get 15% off your first purchase. Please go check them out. They've been a longtime sponsor of ours at this point. Great products, and we appreciate you. Stanislav, you're still with us. Yeah, I'm back, baby. <laughs> I've just been sitting at my computer, waiting for the time zones to line up again. Yep. What <laughs> are we doing? At, l- looking at this pile of magic cards that I have. So, you Did guys, you open a pack? 
I mean, I have so many packs. I'm constantly opening packs. Just Can like, we get a, a pack ruffle noise in the microphone I'm, to I'm signify never, we've entered this segment? Yeah. So I have a very special pack. It might sound a little different. As you may know, I was in Germany a couple weeks ago. Right. I was in Hamburg. I caught a mysterious disease probably from the hamburger I ate, which was delicious. And I borrowed a scooter. I rented one of the scooters that they have around cities in the world these days. And I scooted to a LGS and I bought Aftermath packs. In German? No, in English. On Deutsch? Nine in English. Okay. Five packs for 20 euro. It was a deal I couldn't pass up. <laughs> they even knew then. Let's see what we get. I hope you get a Nissa. So let's, yeah, let's, let's open as many of these as we can in the next 60 seconds. They have more than one rare. Copper right. Code Vanguard. That's, that's actually a pretty good card. You love it. Markov Baron. Don't know what that is. Okay. Here's first rare. Oh, no, this one only has one rare, and it's Spark Rupture. Hmm. Tuna White, when it enters, draw a card. Each Planeswalker with one or more loyalty counters loses all abilities and is a creature with power and toughness equal to the number of loyalty counters on it. Hey, and speaking of a card we just talked about today, Foil Cosmic Rebirth. There you go. Maybe Give me I'll the text. Is it, is it comes into play, returns to the battlefield if it's three or less? Choose target permanent card in your graveyard. If it has mana value three or less, you may put it onto the battlefield. If you don't put it onto the battlefield put it onto your hand you gain right. three life there you go cool 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 all right only one rare Should, let, let's get one more rare let's get one more rare let's open another pack i love it because we're nasty do, do these packs sound different they sound tinny yeah they do <laughs> who have the microphone okay reckless handling goldforge thopterix okay we got a mythic <gasps> called karn legacy reforged oh wow that card is not good <laughs> Bummer. Sorry, Karn. Hey, we got another rare. It's called Vesuvian Drifter. Oh, oh, yeah. That was a card you two liked. It's foil. That's too bad. And then we got a beautiful filter out. That looks, it's not a, a fun card, but it's a fun frame. Nice. How about that? Lovely. How about that? Apple? Thanks for opening some packs, Dan. And it's good, oh, to, get, it's good to get three more minutes of Stanislav in my life. <laughs> Exactly. I'm not joking. I've like opened just a random pack every day now because I just have so many packs laying around. Oh, this guy, this guy, Dave, the sealed product. What? Yeah. You guys don't have a ton of packs laying around? We don't have a ton of. No, we don't have the PR hookups that you have, Stan. Ooh, bummer. Somehow, you know, somehow. You know, we built to this suck. brand. We built this brand together, mm. and Stan gets the free packs because he's in your your rep. Apparently, there's also fewer content careers over there. But also has used his uh, you know journalism background to actually get affiliated with a yes, real news organization real and not us. So yeah, yeah. not yeah. a fake news organization. Okay, yeah. so I think our, what our, what our, is our plan for the rest of the episode that we're just going to be really efficient with our, our RC breakdown? Yes. Okay, cool. Love it. But Stanislav, it was good to see you. Get out of here. Enjoy the rest of your day. Should we do the the goodbye, or do you guys want to do it yourself? No, we're gonna, we're we'll gonna, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep that close to the chest. That's mine. All right. Well, close to the vest, uh, underneath the vest. Maybe, maybe maybe I'll see you next week. If, if not so. you, the co-host, maybe you, the listener, maybe neither. We'll find out. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, Stanislav. Ciao. Bye. Well, Dave, we're finally rid of him. It's just, it's just me and you. Finally. <laughs> just the two of us for oh, one no. segment on this week. No, it's uh, you and you and me get 
It takes two to make a thing go right. Right. That's right. It takes two to break down a tournament. Yeah. Several tournaments, Shane. Once again, I asked you yeah. for a tight 10. And what yeah. we have is 10 pages of notes instead of 10 minutes of notes. No, it's not How's true. this going to work? It's going to work great. I mean, I don't really have 10 tournaments. So, I mean, this past weekend, there were Pioneer Regional Championships, RCs, in the U.S., down in Dallas. There was one in China. There was one in Canada. There was one in Southeast Asia, Mexico, probably other places. But we're going to focus on the largest one of all of those by a good margin, the one in Dallas. I think the other tournaments might provide some important information we can work with. Like if we want to get in the weeds, uh, mtgmeta.io has a really handy feature of combining various events. So like if you wanted to, you could click like all five of those events and look at the combined win rate and matchup percentages across all those tournaments, which was kind of handy because you could just be like, well, I mean, the U.S. has like 1,100 something people. But if I add in these, the like U.S. 700, only has 1,100 people. Yeah, I mean, 1,174 in the entire U.S. Well, I meant in the tournament. Oh, OK, OK. Uh, and if you want to throw in those other tournaments, you can do so just for some more color or interest if you want. But yeah, like I said, we'll focus on the U.S. one. I think personally, this was probably the most important weekend for Pioneer since the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. I think it, and and ultimately to me, revealed some really significant opportunities Pioneer players have and are taking advantage of for new angles of attack, new opportunities in the metagame. And I think also somewhat solidified perhaps the new tier the tiering of the decks, or at least informed what those, you know, the, the various tiers might kind of be. Okay. Well, I'm super interested in that because the new tiering is the thing that I'm always, always <laughs> skeptical about coming out of these kind of events when people met yeah. really hard and manage to read it right and get those bump in win rates. So let's see sure. what happened. So tell me about what happened. Okay. What happened? Okay, 1174 players in Dallas, which means 14 rounds of Swiss. There is the usual nine rounds on Saturday. All the people six and three came came back for day two. And so the overall metagame of Dallas, we have a nice even 10 decks with over 3% of the metagame. And those decks are, Dave, guess the first two. I mean, no guesses here. It's Rakdos Midrange and Mono Green Devotion. Everybody knows it. Yes. Rakdos Midrange, the big surprise to me here, Rakdos Midrange was 21% of the meta. Yeah. 21%. And we thought that the, the tournament that Devin and I talked about in Valencia was going to be an outlier where it was 25% of the meta. Yeah. This is still 21. And then Mono Green Devotion. People love that Rakdos, my friend. They do. And then Mono Green Devotion. 11% of the meta with 133 people. Yeah. Here it is. Let's just go through. Let's go through the meta game pretty quickly. Then we can yep. talk. Or do you want to do win rates as we go through the meta game? Always want to do win rates as we go through in okay, context, fine. Shane, in context. Very well. Met Rakdos mid range, 46.9% across. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> wow. Uh, this is always a thing where I'm just like, you know, if it was a, nor- let's say it was an NRG, let's say it was like an SCG open back in the day, right? And it's just like, okay, Shane Beeps goes to the event and he's going to bring Rakdos mid-range and he's not very good at it. And that's the kind of thing where we see like, okay, 
you know, 47%, yeah, sure, there's going to be some very good players, going to be not some good players. Right. And this is the kind of thing where all these players are likely quite good. They all had to qualify. They had to get through their RCQs to make it to the RC. And we still saw 47%, which is not amazing. Of course, it's the kind of thing where you're going to have a lot of mirror matches. It's the kind of thing where you're going to have everyone expecting you in the room. But you don't bring a deck like this. If you didn't expect everyone to be prepared for you in the first place, you just kind of think the natural power level of the deck is going to push you over the edge. That did not happen today. Yeah. How about Monogreen? Monogreen? Yeah, Monogreen Devotion, however... 53.7 percent so it's not bad no not i mean bad. it's that's darn good i mean especially across 133 pilots and you had to know people again were going to be prepared for you thinking that you were probably going to be the one of the top three decks in the room and i think it's a pretty convincing uh stance for mono green devotion i mean the main thing i noticed looking at the mono green devotion lists is these are really simplified lists again you know, there's no. What's the simple version of Monogreen yeah. Devotion? Just curious. <laughs> I guess, what do you mean? I mean, it's, I think it has been for quite some time, but I think last time we really were talking about Monogreen is like some people are doing that Teferi thing or oh, like yeah. an infinite combo. Some people are using what, like the, the, the is it Niv Mizzet who like takes over the other people's Planeswalker abilities? That would be a Bolus. Yes, plane, Bolus. Yeah, that would be the Bolus Planeswalker. And. But now it's just the kind of the, the, the version before Teferi and Nicol Bolas came into play. And there are usually a couple of Pelucanos, two to three, to provide just that quality game, I think, against Rakdos. It has reach for things like perhaps Spirits, perhaps Grease Fang, just those kind of things to shore up a few weaknesses that the deck formerly had. But really, it's not trying to do anything you know fancy. It just has the... Um, pestilent cauldron in the sideboard it has the chain veil in the sideboard for wishing up with karn and just gets things done both yeah. on the ground and with the combo there's plenty of things to combo off off with we i don't even think they really use to ferry anymore the pro tour for what it's worth no no all right so there's that that's our top tier it's top. Two, de- two decks 33 percent. yeah in terms of representation yeah. yes there's four decks between that 11 percent from mono green and five percent can you yeah. tell me about the four decks, which <laughs> yes. I would call our next tier, basically? Sure. Uh, is it creativity? I'm a little bit surprised to see this in third place, but maybe not. Seven and a half percent. And what's really interesting here is I'm still seeing a surprising mix of versions that have Atraxa, that have Gear Hulk, that have World Spine Worm. Some, sometimes the World Spine Worm does not have Xenagos, which mm-hmm. I don't even really know what you're doing with that. I thought that was kind of the combo. I don't play as a creativity combo decks and people didn't really seem solidified on one or the other. I even went down from like the best performing to like the mid performing decks. And I saw a mix all in there. I don't think any one deck performed particularly better than the other. And overall these decks performed pretty subpar with about a 43.9% win rate across the 88 pilots. I'll say that's the lowest win rate of these top 10 decks that we have that we're looking at right now, 43.9%. That is true. But then the next was the deck I might've picked as the third most popular in the room. And it's really not fourth by much. It's just 87 copies instead of 88. And that's Azorius control 7.44%, a 48.9% win rate, very Azorius control things. I think it's the kind of thing where, you know, if you, 
plan your meta, plan your sideboard, plan your deck quite well. Maybe you'll gain a few percentage points. Maybe you just have a few tough matchups and you go down a little bit. It's kind of like, you know, the middle of the road control deck that we've seen recently spike tournaments. It uh, won one of the tournaments uh, in a, not in the U S so it's perfectly viable. Of course, it just didn't blow the doors off here in Dallas. Yep. Yep. Also did not blow the doors off of it in Valencia for what it's worth after having a matchup in the finals of the energy tournament about three or four weeks ago. So a uh, mirror matchup, I guess I meant. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next up, abs ups on Grease Fang, 74 copies, 6.3%, a 50.5% win rate. Grease Fang just keeps doing Grease Fang things. I think everyone's you know, planning to see this in like the top five or six decks and you know, perfectly viable deck. Maybe not the thing you're going to bring to, to spike the tournament necessarily, but you know, I was on Grease Fang still here. Yeah. I mean, I actually think this is kind of the deck that at least according to Devin and what we talked about last week, when we were talking about his choice of playing Boros Convoke is that he actually is kind of favoring these high roll decks in, sure. in Pioneer lately. And Obzon is an ultimate high roll deck kind of i think it you know it has a combo combo goes off wins you the game you know you try to sneak your way through the bad matchups and hope that you kind of thread the needle and do better than than the mean win rate among your crew but um if you can roll well you can you can grease fang people to death for sure i think there there's another deck or two that we'll talk about that i think had perhaps more even win rates across more decks than Grease Fang did, but didn't necessarily spike quite as hard. Yeah, a little bit of a tease. Up next, 66 copies, Mono White Humans, 5.6% of the meta, and a nice 53.1% win rate. So I kind of thought we might see a little bit more Mono White Humans in the metagame. Like I, if, you, if I was forced to guess, I might have swapped Grease Fang with Mono White Humans. It's not a tremendous difference, but enough of one to make a note of, I suppose. All right. So that's our tier two decks above 5%, between 5 and 10% sure. of the meta. So coming in at the end, we have decks above 3% of the meta, between yeah. 3 and 5. And, and what are those three decks? Boros Convoke, 56%, about 4.8% of the meta, a 47% win rate. Mm-hmm. across a day a little bit less than we might have expected although i feel like people pretty quickly prepared to face this deck they probably had a few uh, new sideboard cards a, a sideboard card i noticed in someone's deck i forget which one it's that i think stan mentioned this one of our spoiler episodes it's like the one mana sorcery that deals one damage to all your opponent's creatures and all their planeswalkers mm. Mm-hmm. And that seems ridiculously efficient against the tokens deck where you're like, you don't have to wait till turn three as long as you get them before they start uh, convoking out and getting tokens on them and things like that. That could pretty much clear a board. Well, yeah, you kind of have to get it turn one. Sure. <laughs> like, because a, a lot of times they're convoking out Loxodon on turn two and then you can't kill their guys anymore. But there are also plenty of draws where that doesn't happen. So, yeah. Lotus Field Combo, 46 copies, about 3.9% with a 48.8% win rate. This is a little bit surprising. I think some people might have thought that Lotus Field could spike because people weren't quite as well prepared for it. It's it's been dipping in the metagame percentages a little bit. Again, we see it here with only 3.9. You might think it's going to be a little bit higher at an event such as this, just because there's a lot of people who might be deck experts. But this is kind of where I expect to see Lotus Field right now, which is like, you know, three to five percent and maybe getting 48 to 52 percent of the meta excuse me of the of a win rate 
Finally, the last yes. one of these top tens. We have well, what I think oh, a lot is, of people this thought is, this was is the nine. hero. Oh, nine. This is nine. Okay. Which is also a hero. Yeah. Tell me about it. Azoria Spirits. 38 copies. 3.25% of the meta. 57% win rate. Huge. So, huge. Huge. And, and these decks aren't doing anything particularly new. They're just kind of the heavily blue-based disruptive aggro decks. Yeah. Four Curious Obsessions for your power, for your card draw. You got your Geist Lights in there. You got your Slip Out the Backs. You got your Lofty Denials. You splash into white for like some maybe main deck like stuff like Spell Queller, your sideboard options. I'm seeing an interesting new option. No, it's not new, but it's a, a new to me in these decks, which is like one to two of Catilda, Dawnheart, Martyr. Mm-hmm which is a one white, white uh, star star with flying lifelink pro vampire and power and toughness equal to the number of spirits or enchantments you control. I only like pro vampires pro. (laughs) And uh, she has a a flip side, which is like the rising dawn three white, white enchantment. That is the, what is that called when you cast it from graveyard in this, in the crimson vow sets. Spirity. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, Yeah. You're bringing it back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think and just puts that same text that she has on another creature. For wedding announcement is one, a big reason I think to one run white for like the Rakdos matchup and the board. You know, you get your portable holes, your destroy evils, your skyclave apparitions, your invasion of Gobacon. I saw a few copies of for so sure on Twitter today. A lot of people were talking about how good invasion of Gobacon was out of the sideboard. Yeah, experience. it's a good cardboard. Yeah, that in fact I saw one person claim that they never lost a game where they flipped it. That let them beat Rakdos a bunch more than they were used to. I think that uh, yeah, Gobacon. People thought it was really good in Boros Convoke. Turns out maybe it was just really good in Spirits all along. I mean, we we did say it's a good card. We thought it was going to see play. Um, we weren't the only people to say that, of course. And I think that it's proving to be a particularly useful card for sure mm-hmm. in these you know creature decks that can run white for sure. I think we'll talk a little bit more about Azuria Spirits when we get in kind of like final thoughts. So let's head into our number ten. Racto Sacrifice, 3.6%, excuse me, 3.16%, 37 copies, a 56.3% win rate. And basically no one I saw ran the new uh, Nixilis creature version in the deck. I did see a few adversaries in the sideboard, which, as we've mentioned a long time ago, it's you know particularly strong against control decks. It's pretty good for grinding, grinding things out long-term. But yeah, I think Racto Sacrifice is still just doing kind of what it does. And we can talk a little bit about what matchups it's particularly good in. But 56.3 for Raksak is pretty darn strong. Pretty good. Yeah, I remember that there were a lot of people saying that they were surprised by how much Raksak was around and how much it was at the top tables. Yeah. So overall thoughts about the meta, Dave? I mean, I think we hit most of it. The biggest thing is that... Yeah, Whenever we go into one of these events, I'm always like, is Spirits going to be good? And, you know, Stan was, has been playing Spirits, has thought that Spirits was his, his best deck in Pioneer, and suddenly here it is again at the top of a meta as well. Yeah. That's the biggest surprise to me. I guess the other one is, is it Creativity's low win rate, given how much Creativity have been getting hype over the last few weeks? To see it down in the low 40s like that is pretty surprising. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, this to me kind of solidifies mono green devotion as just being back baby like it's just it's just here i think that it's regained some of its strength i think people have streamlined the builds again to just you know be simple and powerful and get done what they need to get done and i think pelucranos of course does offer a lot of strength especially as we're seeing you know spirits make a little bit of a comeback and 
Grease Fang continues to fall a little bit. It's probably pretty strong against things like Mono White Humans. And so it's just a you know overall strong card for Mono Green. All right. So I, I don't know. We have the day, the day two conversion stats here. I don't think yeah. we have to go through all of them, all no, of them. No, but no. let's talk about the headlines here. What sure. were the things that converted the best? What yeah. were the things that had the most interesting matchups when you took a, take a look at like Met, uh, MTG Meta IO and stuff like that for the matchup grid? Sure. So let's just say I think an expected conversion rate, if every deck performed equally well, would have been about like 22% because 283 players made day two, which is 22% of the starting meta. So anything over 22 is a little bit better than average. So uh, Mono Green Devotion, 35% conversion rate. It made up 16.6% of the day two meta up from 11.3. That is kind of wild. Yeah. Right. Um, Azorius Spirits, which we just were talking about, a 42% conversion rate, 16 of the 38 pilots uh, nice. made day two. Uh, that's pretty darn good. Raksak was 35% conversion rate. Enigmatic Fire is a deck we did not mention earlier because it was like the 11th place deck, but um, it shot into the top 11 decks uh, that made up day two. In fact, I should say that all top 10 decks were part of the top 10 of day two. And then Enigmatic Fires got in there to get back up to 4.2% of the overall metagame. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, those are the outliers. Some stuff did a little bit worse. Some stuff did a little bit better. Like Rakdos Midrange basically converted to the 22% uh, rate, which is kind of exactly Perf- what you'd perfection. expect. Yes, Perfection. exactly. Yeah. So here's the thing that I thought was interesting. Other decks, other made up 25.7% of the day one, but it only made up 15% of day two. So oh, all of these kind of rogue strategies, other strategies that didn't make it into our top 10, top 11 decks definitely performed a little bit worse. Some of the decks that were in other that I think performed particularly well, though, that I did want to mention is Gruel Vehicles. Uh, five of the 20 pilots made day two. Neoform Atraxa, four of the 13. Sultai Rona combo, four of the 15. Those all did pretty darn well. And then some decks like Omnath to Light were pretty bad, like 12%. Is it Phoenix only one of the 13 pilots? How far it has fallen? Mm-hmm. It's really at the bottom. The Nadir right now. <laughs> Don't know why. It's too bad. So there's our, there's our day two meta. And... I was thinking we just go straight to the top eight and then we can just kind of give our overall thoughts, other interesting things from other RCs, and then just takeaways that people might might take with them in their thoughts about Pioneer moving forward. Exactly. Until, Dave, we can hopefully start thinking about Modern again. I miss Modern. We've been modern, talking so much about Pioneer. It's time. It's time for Lord of the Rings. It's Modern time. So top eight time. Elliot Raff and Enigmatic Fires went 12-0-2 undefeated. Yeah. This looks like a Fires deck to me. Elliot Raff, well-known L3 judge, and Ooh. generally, supposedly, all-around nice guy, though I've never interacted with them. So, Congrats, Elliot. Second place, Bradley Schlesinger on Gruel Vehicles, 12-1-1. So the cool tech here were three Voldaren Thrillseeker, which is that two and a red, one, one with backup two. And it can put two one, one counters on a target creature. If that's a different creature, that creature then gains the ability to pay one sacrifice and deal damage equal to its power to any target. It's the fling card. It's the, it's the, fling, it's card. the fling card. And yep. I mean, so there's definitely some utility here, right? Like you have a lot of creatures with pretty good power. Like let's say you do this to a love struck beast, right? Like you get the one, one from Voldaren three thrill seeker. It puts two counters on love struck beast. It can attack, 
and then you could, or you could just fling it. Pay one to dome it, so you can yeah. maybe do fourteen on an empty board or something weird. Yeah, like that. I mean, like there's some cool stuff that could happen here. Hmm. I I have to see this to believe it. Like it seems expensive to me, but like maybe it's just the kind of thing where it just puts enough counters and enough things that it matters. Where it's just like it really just puts your creatures out of range of burn. It puts your creatures out of range of an other annoying creatures that can match up against like your love struck beast or something like that. So yep. And then you said it also had a couple of Invasion of Ixalan, which yeah. is a pretty well-costed battle that turns into a good creature. Yeah, perfectly good. Get, let's you dig through your deck a little bit. Uh, third place, Toph Robinson on Demir Rogues, 12 and 2. No Fairy Mastermind here, but does have three Invasion of Amonkhet, which yeah. is like ETBs. They mill three cards. Your opponent discards a card. You draw a card. Yeah. It has defense four, and then it flips into Lazatop, Lazatep Convert, which ETBs as a copy of any creature in a graveyard, except it's a 4-4 black zombie in addition to its other types. So, yeah, yeah why not? So I think the people here were trying to, to cheese out like Atraxas with the, mm. <laughs> with the Lazatep convert. So you, you get somebody to mill their payoff or kill their payoff, and then you get to copy it. It's not as big, but you get to do all the flying, vigilance, lifelinky kind of stuff, so... Sweet. Uh, Matt Foreman in fourth place on Raxac, 12 and 2, what you'd expect. All these all these decks down the top eight are what you'd expect, in my opinion. Uh, Philip Marr, fifth place on Azoria Spirits, 12 and 2. Connor Lane on Mono Blue Spirits, 11, 2 and 1. Donald Sheldon on Raxac, 11, 2 and 1. And uh, Dewey Vu on Mono Green Devotion, 11, 2 and 1. So you're telling me this top eight had one Azoria Spirits, one Mono Blue Spirits, and a and a rogues deck and two racksack, my friend, and two racksack, <laughs> and oh enigmatic, a, a gruel vehicles, enigmatic fires, and mono green devotion. No Rakdos mid range, no Azorius control, uh, no creativity, no Lotus, no Lotus. And Interesting the, top yeah. eight. In the finals, Bradley Schlesinger took it with gruel vehicles over Matt Foreman on racksack. It's the finals that everyone saw coming. <laughs> yes. I, so gruel vehicles has been on the downswing yeah. really big lately and it's interesting to see it pop up here it didn't have a great conversion rate i'm going to assume that that meant it also other pilots that ran it didn't have a great win rate day one either did they no it had a good conversion rate but only like 20 players like five of the 20 made day two okay so it was just sorry it was slightly above the expected conversion rate it was 25 percent instead of 22 percent yeah you're right it's just it's pretty good i think the things that i imagine it's good at are still you know still probably good against Rakdos mid-range mm-hmm. and I imagine that it can probably do a pretty good fight against other creature decks just because it sort of can outclass them outsize them but you know your guess is as good as mine yeah interesting when stuff like this happens though yeah I don't have the model green excuse me the gruel deck did not have enough players to even make it on MTG meta uh, the meta, the the breakdown mm-hmm. so it's not like we can even look at the, the, the performance rate. there all right. What else happened from the other? Yeah, other some interesting ways? stuff. Like, I mean, Canada had 264 players. The top eight also had two Raxac. Okay. Um, our buddy and host of Dominaria's Judgment, Dom Harvey, made it to the quarters with Mono Green Devotion. Uh, Derek Pite, a.k.a. Misplaced Ginger, made it to the semis on, of course, Rakdos Midrange. So good Canadian players are still good. Uh, and go. in the finals there, Azorius Control. Oh, there it is. Defeated Azorius Spirits. There it is in oh, the my. finals. All right, more spirits. 
Uh, Mexico had 162 players. Grease Fang won over Gruel Vehicles, also showing up there. Uh, I will mention a Demir Rona combo deck made the top eight there. It had Scheming Symmetry in it. It had a couple other interesting inclusions. I think that was a pretty wild build. Southeast Asia, for a final tournament to mention, had 155 players and five color enigmatic fires defeated Azorius Control in the finals. And a four color Omnath Elementals deck made the top eight. Boom. Okay. Lot, lots of interesting, interesting stuff. All right. Yeah. What are your takeaways, Shane? Man, I think, I mean, biggest takeaways Convoke did not hogak its way to victory, it had a sub 50% win rate. I mean, it looked strong against Lotus, looked strong against Rakdos, but apparently little else is, it's really not overwhelming those. I think Rakdos is a great deck to be good against. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think that Convoke at least looks like it is a deck in the format that you can play still. Yeah. Even even with the win rate not being crushing or anything like that, it still was, now it's over a large sample size where it was still coming in at like 48, 47% overall win rate. That means it's probably going to have weeks where it's good, it's going to have weeks where it's better, but it's interesting to see that it's it's likely a real deck in the format still, just maybe wasn't the breakout story of this tournament. Yeah, I think the based on the win rate matchups, I think its opportunities are shoring up its matchups against Mono Green Devotion and Mono White Humans, which are kind of like mid-40s. And Azoria Spirit, so that makes a comeback, is also kind of a mid-40s matchup. So right. if it can think about ways to get a little bit better there without losing too much against like Lotus and Rakdos mid-range and things like that, I think the deck will be in a little bit better spot. So maybe people can continue to tune it. Uh, and then another thing I think was, you know, I, I do have to point out Rakdos mid does show up again, does perform below average. I don't know if this is like mass delusion. I don't know if it's just like... I just don't know. People play it because they, they want the flexible, potentially powerful mid-range deck, and it never seems to like overly impress. We've talked about it a lot. I, I yeah. don't know what to say. Like, There's plenty of people who do it well with it and people who do bad with it, and it converts where it's supposed to convert. It's like, if you, if you want to have a chance, you can play this, and it, you'll have a chance. Sure. And then finally, let's, let's talk a little bit about Zoria Spirit some more. Like, I, I think it, this just showed itself to be like a potentially slept-on deck that a lot of people seem to suddenly converge on before this tournament. Like, even against Mono Green Devotion, we've mentioned Pelucranos probably being helpful against Flyers with Reach, but it still had a 61% win rate against Mono Green. It had decent to great matchups against basically everything except for creativity and against sacrifice. And I think that's that's a perfectly good place to be if you're going to continue performing in that manner. Yeah, I mean, I always want Spirits to be pretty good. I'm glad it's back. I'm sure Stan will be thrilled when he's hanging out with us <laughs> and listens to this. Any thoughts you have, Dave? I, I mean, the, the only other thing is just Racksack, which I don't think we yeah. underlined quite enough, is that if you like that deck... You can definitely play it. Keep playing it. It's it's once again we have a kind of big size tournament where it overperforms a little bit, uh, kind of what people think it's going to. So, yeah, I mean, again, I've mentioned so many times. I think Raxac is one of those decks that's a contender in the format against pretty specific metagames. Mm -hmm. Like this did that expected check against the creature decks against Rakdos midrange, and it was a slight but fairly convincing underdog against the combo decks. So like if the combo decks slip a little bit, or if you can think about ways to continue to show up those matchups, then I think Raxx going to be fine for you. Like, like if, you know, thinking about what I would play, like at a, 
pioneer event coming up like you know do you get good at rack sack like i think an lgs meta especially is like i'm going to see fewer combo decks i'm going to see more creature decks in my opinion and i think rack sack is going to be fun to play interactive lots of things to keep track of and, and probably pretty good against those strategies you know probably gonna have a lot of convoke players at your lgs recently if they if they're you know buying the cheap cards formerly right. cheap cards right but other than that, I think like Mono Green Devotion is something that I'd pick up and play because you know once you kind of learn the the mana points that you have to be at to do certain combo lines, I think you're you're pretty fine. Other than that, it's like you know slightly on rails to be pretty decent with it. I think. Yeah, no surprise to anyone, but I would be playing Spirits after oh, this yeah. week. Why not hop on the hop on the train out of a deck I already like pretty well? Yeah, it is what it is. Give me Spirits. Yeah, so I mean. Long story short, I think that the the metagame of Pioneer is still pretty flexible. I mean, we had we saw a deck that got created like three weeks ago be what like five uh, percent of the meta, yeah, and and then we saw the return of Azoria Spirits and things like that. So we're seeing the uptick in Mono Green Devotion, the uptick of Mono White Humans. I think there's a lot of you know a lot of opportunity for people to play what they want and for the format to continue developing and, and, and shape itself via the players. Yep. All right. Well, Shane, thanks for taking us through this wrap up of the week's RCs. A half as we hour. kind of cease focus, such harsh focus on pioneer for a little bit, get ready to go back to modern, as you said, but I think that's it for this week's show, right? Oh yeah. And that wraps it up. So if you have not yet, Subscribe to our podcast. You get those latest episodes as soon as they drop. And if you use Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you use uh, Spotify, you can leave us some stars over there as well. If you want to shoot a question our way, you want to give us a piece of your mind, you can tweet us at the dive down or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also check out our merch store at the divedown.com slash store. Of course, manatraders.com. We've worked with them for so long. If you want to use their service and you want to save 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards, you can use promo code the dive down 2023 all one word, gives you 10% off there. If you want to get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man, you can use code THEDIVEDOWNM23 for 15% off your first order there. And our friends over at Nerd Rage Gaming give the Dive Down listeners 8% off their order with the code DIVE8. Thanks, Nowhere. Thanks, Baseblood, for letting us use your music. And until next week, get out there and be tempted by the ring.